This is the Book Marketing Action Podcast, and I'm Becky Robinson. Since 2012, my team and I have partnered with more than 100 authors to launch more than 130 business books. On this podcast, I'll share the best insights and actionable ideas from our work so that you can implement sustainable activities to reach your goals for your book. Whether you're a seasoned author looking to breathe new life into your book or someone who dreams of writing a book someday, this podcast will help you be more successful in getting results as an author. Hi, everyone. This is Becky Robinson, and I'm so thrilled to welcome you to a very special edition of the Book Marketing Action Podcast. I can't remember if I yet announced that I have a new book coming with Barrett Kohler Publishers, and it's coming in April of 2022. And so to celebrate my book, we're going to have a few episodes that are on the topic of my author journey in hopes that hearing about my journey will be of some help to you if you are an aspiring author or even if you are a veteran author who may want to take a different path with your next book. And so I'm so excited that today I have with me Neil Mallett from Barrett Kohler Publishers. He happens to be my editor. And I'm going to let Neil tell you a little bit about his work as an editor over the years. And then we're going to talk some about my author journey, like I said, in hopes that you'll get a glimpse into what it's like to partner with a traditional publisher and today specifically the role that an editor plays on that journey. So, hey, Neil, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, wonderful to be working with you and talk about books, which is my favorite topic. I think yours too. I pretty much have had only one job in my life (laughs) after college, which is working in book publishing. So I'm not sure that I know about anything else, frankly, but uh, luckily I've been able to kind of fight off imposter syndrome for 30 some odd years and work on books. I've always worked in nonfiction. I've always worked in editorial and I kind of stumbled my way into working on business books or books about career business. Wasn't my first choice, honestly. I wanted to work on novels. I wanted to kind of go have like martini lunches at the Algonquin Hotel and discuss great matters of intellectual weight. And then I ended up doing books on building mail order businesses and uh, consulting. Uh, That was my first editing job at Wiley. And I realized I loved that. I loved how clear it was whether a book was helping people or not when you kind of were working on books that were kind of about things like that. So that's pretty much been where I've been my life as an editor. I've moved on to Josie Bass in San Francisco, worked there for many years. And a lot of the people I worked with at Josie Bass have made their way to Barrett Kohler. So that's kind of how I made my way to Barrett Kohler, which is a another nonfiction only press, not just doing business titles. We also do books kind of in progressive current events, also kind of some personal growth. Books, so they kind of run the gamut of kind of self improvement. Our mission is creating a world that works for all. So all of our books have to have some kind of positive change that happens when you read the book. And I also find that again kind of reassuring and fun to know that any book we work on has like a clear kind of benefit at the end of it. You come out the other end of the book, possibly as a writer and as the author, and you kind of have specific changes that you're going to make. And so that's what I do. I kind of help authors just get clear on that. And I love my job. Very cool. So I'm curious how many books you work on in any given year, Neil? Yeah. So I took over the editorial department last year. And so my number went down, but it's been pretty consistent over my career where I've been working on about 16 to 20 books a year. And of course, 
that means like I'm signing up 16 to 20. And then I'm also editing the books that I signed up the previous year I'm editing. So really, it's more like at any given time, kind of juggling probably close to 30 titles or topics, which I think is good for authors to know. It means that sometimes I may seem like I'm not super focused on your book. I'm speaking to you, Becky, I guess, as as somebody this has personal kind of interest in. But I worry sometimes that authors feel like I'm not investing in their book. If I'm like really, really deep into somebody else's author crisis, the way that it tends to work is we segment our time pretty carefully. So once I'm working on somebody's manuscript, I'm like so 100% focused on that. So it's kind of episodic that way. But that is a way to kind of keep so many books kind of going through the system and keeping the company's doors open. How do you balance the need to give attention to the authors whose books you're currently working to bring to publication and then the many proposals that probably land in your email? Yeah, well, this is something I think I've mentioned to some other author groups and talks. And I think author sometimes people get a little bit surprised by this. But for me, even though the most important job that I have is selecting the books we'll publish. In terms of time, the time that gets kind of pushed down to the bottom is considering new proposal ideas because I'm usually having to make sure that once a book gets signed up, it's on like a train schedule. We can't miss the schedule or some bad things happen later. So that's always going to trump other things. So what ends up happening sometimes is the proposals kind of pile up a little bit. And then I have to slam through them, reading them. I might read 20 proposals in an hour or something like that, really kind of going through. So that probably horrifies authors who are working so hard in their proposals. And and the thing that I would tell authors who might be listening to this and wanting to get an editor's attention, it just kind of proves how much of a premium there is on your introduction, your cover letter. You kind of have to win me over in the first few paragraphs of your proposal. So what ends up happening is I scan them and the ones that kind of jump out as possibly promising, they get kind of set aside and then I might might spend some more time on them. So that's just kind of the hard facts about this business. Well, I find it fascinating. And I know prior to having my own proposal accepted by Barrett Kohler Publishers, I was definitely aware that you get hundreds, if not thousands of proposals every year. So can you talk a little bit about that for those who might be listening to give them a reality check on the amount of traffic there is for traditional publishing? Sure. Yeah. So I've counted up mine. I get anywhere from 400 to 500 proposals that come directly to me. And keep in mind that we have an email address that's generally available, submissions at bkpub.com and bkconnection.com. And that is kind of vetted by our assistant editor who's responsible for kind of doing kind of the same thing I've just been describing to you, but she's doing it kind of more of the associate level screening things and then maybe passing them on to me. She's getting several a day and she might give me like one every week or two to look over like, hey, this might be interesting to you. So I'm seeing some of those and then some that come directly to me, I'm getting like at least one proposal a day, probably more like two or three. And then I'm usually going to try to carve out time on Friday. What ends up happening is I get through the week, I'm putting out fires, you know, things are happening. And I'm like, oh, I haven't looked at any proposals this week. And it is true that there's a time factor with proposals too. Like I don't want to find out that I had the proposal for the next good to great or for our work week. And if I had only gotten back to that author or agent earlier, that might've been my book. So I'm not happy about maybe having to put off reading them 
but it's kind of a risk I guess I run. So on Friday, what I'll, t- I'll, I'll usually end up doing it on Fridays when things tend to quiet down. And then I just kind of power through the proposals that week. And it is a little bit kind of a triage thing sometimes. Again, I'm giving you some of the dirty underbelly of our business. <laughs> like I will kind of read the first paragraph. And if you kind of get me in that first paragraph or two of the proposal, I immediately jump to the author's bio. I want to see like, who is this person? Are people listening to them? Is this person a thought leader? If you have a great book idea, and this is obviously why you're in business, Becky, and nobody knows you're there alive, that great book idea is going to probably not go too far. So I do have to see that people are already following you. People, it's a long haul, I think, as you try to tell your authors. And then the third place I go to is the marketing plan. Do you know how to sell yourself? Do you kind of have you know, stuff online. Then I go back and then I really start to dig into the kind of editorial ideas. I don't want to have to like use my brain cells to really figure out if your book idea is good until I know that you kind of have the engine to sell it. So that's kind of my thought process reading through proposals. I think authors would be horrified. But you know, one thing when I was an editorial assistant, so I started at Bantam Books and I was there when they were publishing authors like, you know, Tom Wolf and, and Nathaniel Brandon and I'm trying to think of like some other big names. Louise Erdrich was one of the authors that my editor worked with. And the proposals all came in with eight by 10 glossies of the authors, which horrified me. Like I thought, this is disgraceful. But they were an entertainment business. You know, we're talking about one of the big New York corporate publishers and they did take into account how good of a glossy picture the author's going to have. <laughs> I still don't exactly agree with that. And that does not happen with me. But it just shows you that publishers look at your book as a business proposal, business investment. Publishers are going to think about how much risk is there of me getting my money back if I spend thirty dollars to $50,000, which is about the average investment. Anyways, I don't know why I brought that weird thing up. but Oh, it's funny. I love that insider view. I think you've probably seen and done a lot of things that our listeners would find interesting. So we might have to circle back on some of those okay. publishing <laughs> stories. So we've talked a little bit about your process in vetting proposals, but I want to make sure that I emphasize what you said, which is that editors are looking at each proposal as a business decision, a business investment, and maybe more important, once you have a good idea, is can you sell the book? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interestingly, I think as the editor, I mean, maybe I'm presuming too much, but I think I have a certain amount of persuasion and sway inside the company that this is a good book idea. This is not worth listening to. So I usually get those points for that kind of as a given. The part that I really need to start selling to my colleagues, because I don't just make the decision, oh, we're going to publish this. I decide like, hey, this is a good investment. I like this author. I think this is a good title. Now I have to convince sales and marketing they're going to be able to sell it. So a lot of my energy internally in the company is more focused on that side of it. And again, I don't think authors are completely aware that most of the discussion inside the company is going to be about that sales and marketing piece and publicity. Most of your conversations with your editor, one hopes, is about content, the quality, the ideas. You're going to get all that. But that's kind of like a one-on-one thing with your editor. Most of the work that goes on that publisher is around how do we sell this thing? And is the author going to be the chief marketing and sales officer? Because if the author is just going to sit around and wait for the publisher to figure it out, it's not going to work. 
That's really powerful. So for a minute, let's talk a little bit about how I got here to having a book contract with Barrett Kohler Publishers. And I remember, Neil, when you called me to offer me the contract, I was wishing that we had recorded it because I thought it would have been a really helpful I don't know, conversation for others to hear. So I'm not asking for you to like sing my praises or anything right now. But I do think it would be interesting for you to share for a minute about how you evaluated my proposal. And just before we go there, for everyone who's listening, if you haven't read some of the blog posts that I've been writing about my author journey, I brought several ideas to Neil over the years before I got him to say yes to one. And when I did finally craft an entire proposal, it was the first time, but it was only because Neil said no. And then in July, I think it was, we had a call and I shared my latest idea with you and you said, yes, I'd look at a proposal for that. It only took me about six months probably to get it in your inbox. So let's pick up the story there. Yeah. Well, I think what's kind of fun about this book and you is that it's kind of a weird synchronicity of your message to your clients and to you know people who hire you. And you've kind of eaten your own cooking because you've gone through that same process personally and you're writing a book and you've rejected and told no early on. And it really was kind of that same, you had really good book ideas probably when I first met you or when we first started discussing books, but you didn't have the brand yet that made me feel confident yet. Like, oh, this is going to be a great investment. And then interestingly, by the time you circled around with this last book idea, and I've kind of known you you know, over the past few years, it suddenly just hit me like she's a brand. She's not the same Becky Robinson I spoke to in like 2012, where you had a certain email list and you were kind of building your business it like it hit me kind of as like a thunderclap like oh this is a completely different kind of book discussion now and so you had the great book idea which is kind of why the conversation got started in the first place but then it kind of hit me all of a sudden that you have the marketing engine now that is kind of at the top of your class and so it's funny like when i sent you the email when the i got a yes from my colleagues you know you got through the meeting i had a picture of that scene in bull durham when the phone call kind of comes through I can't remember who's that. Tim Robbins is the actor who plays that. Luckily, you're much better kind of book figure than he was as a pitcher. And they's like, you're going to the show. And that was exactly what it seemed like to me. Like you're definitely kind of in the major league kind of echelon now as somebody who's really earned your stripes and kind of built the hard work of building your platform and your brand. But without a great book idea, it's a really weird balance. If you had had all of that and your book idea was like, eh, you know, it's okay. That wouldn't have worked. If you had like an amazing book idea, which I'm sure some of your book ideas were probably great when I first started talking to you, but there's this kind of balance between the two. And that's why you're writing a book right now and not probably spending as much time with your kids as you should. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so for those who might be listening, like what I really feel, and I want to emphasize what you said, it's not only about having a platform, you also have have to have a great idea. And it's not only about having a great idea, you also have to have a platform. And Thanks so much. It's so fun to share this journey with you and with the rest of the team at BK. So Neil, this has been such a fun conversation to reflect on all the different things that came together for me to be doing a book now. And what I want to do now is give our listeners a glimpse about the role of an editor once you get to this point. So you mentioned 500 proposals that you see every year, 16 to 20, you offer a contract to based on feedback from the rest of the publication board. So then you're really journeying with those 16 to 20 authors a year from the 
initial idea and concept in the proposal to the publication of the book, which in my case from signing the contract is going to be about 14 months. So talk about the role that you have as an editor and what the different places are, because you explained that you kind of have different moments that you step in. You're not necessarily giving an author all of your attention all of the time. So what are the key places along the journey? Yeah, that's a good question because I think it's actually changed in the industry since I started editing as an editor. I mean, I hate to say my first publishing job was in 1987. So that kind of tells you how long I've been around. And at that time, actually, the pressure on the platform, it was there, but it wasn't as heavy. More unknowns could kind of break out because there was just a massive number of bookstores and the book industry was much bigger than it is now, frankly. So I spent a lot of my time, my first years, what we call line editing, you know, going through line by line and really reworking the content and sending it back, sending drafts back to the author. Now I'm partly as a part of the workflow, but also part of the way that I think the book industry has changed. My time is more episodic, meaning that when I get a book signed up, as has happened in your case, um, a lot of effort goes into the concept at the start. And that's one reason why we picked the title so early. So in your case, it used to be really kind of like, why would you pick a title until the book is done? How can you title something until you know what this thing is? Because it's going to come out a little differently than you expected. So that's how I'm looking back and kind of amazed to remember that it was like that. Now we pretty much set the title possibly before the authors even started writing. My job is to help get the author clear on the concept that the book is selling. Like, what's the message? Because the writing is going to go a lot better if that's super clear up front. And then the author is just kind of like doing variations on the theme rather than going off into the wilderness and trying to figure out the plumb of your soul and how do I put that on paper? So there's a lot of intense focus when you get started. Then I go away, unless you have a podcast, which was very clever of you to kind of <laughs> get, get me back. Pull you back there. in, get some attention. <laughs> but I go away because, you know, I'm now doing that, that work with other authors. And then the author is kind of trying to fulfill that vision. And we have reviewers at Barrett Kohler who do like most of that line work and kind of line by line commentary. We still provide that. But my work kind of has to be more on the bigger picture of, is that vision happening? Did the author really fulfill the plan? And so again, I'm looking more at the conceptual kind of purity, if you will. And so when the manuscript comes in, then I give another bunch of like really concentrated time where I'm thinking more of what I would call developmental editing versus line editing. And I think people think of like movies and stuff where the editor has got a big manuscript, Like I'm project manager on like maybe 40 things at a given time. So I don't have that. Maybe there was time in the business at one time for me to spend three days line editing a manuscript. I now have to kind of portion my time a little more to give that work more to the reviewers and sometimes to other developmental editors. But going through the reviews and also figuring out what developmentally and subject-wise is happening in the book. And then giving the author maybe some feedback on, you're writing a chapter on book marketing, but you forgot to mention the internet or something like that. that happen <laughs> with you. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And then the author goes away for another month and kind of works on that. And then hopefully the final manuscript comes in and is perfect. And in our process at Bear Kohler, I think the way we do that, we very, very rarely get to the finish line and the book isn't really what we were hoping for and ready to go into production. In other publishers, there's often a 
the train derails at that point. Like something just went wrong along the way. The author didn't really get the support or feedback and the whole book gets delayed. Sorry, it's going to have to come out six months later. So I think our process is pretty good. So it's not like constant attention, but it's also a little more strategic, I guess. I don't know if that, any of that made, it made sense to me. I don't know if it'll make sense. No, it, it definitely made sense. I think the one thing that's not clear to me is what happens as it relates to the like fine-tuned proofreading. Is that the responsibility of the author or what role does the publisher have with yeah. that? So there's a certain amount of just general fact-checking and feedback. It's happening in the process of the first draft and the early drafts. Like I will kind of go in and do like some spot checks. Like my favorite pet peeve is every like inspirational quote you're going to find on the internet from Gandhi or Mother Teresa is false. <laughs> they never said those things. And people kind of put them in books because it sounds great. So one of my first things is just to kind of spot check some of the factual stuff. And it looks like the author's being really careful that I kind of relax my guard on that. So there's a little bit of that kind of point work that I do, but what's really called copy editing, where the person's going to go word by word through that book happens after I'm out of the picture. So my job is to make sure the book makes sense and it's like marketable and going to be something somebody wants to read. But it's the copy editor who's probably going to spend upwards of 40, 50 hours possibly going line by line and make sure everything's spelled properly, proper grammar, proper style and usage asking questions. This doesn't make sense. So that happens after when it's in production, essentially. And it's very detailed, but it's also like a different part of the brain than I use. Like I would say that's more like left brain, very technical, whereas I'm more like right brain, putting myself more in the shoes of the reader. If a copywriter does a job well, the reader will never even know they were there, you know, because what they're doing is more invisible in terms of making sure all the rules are followed. And then there's another stage, just so you know, of proofreading the galleys. You know, they're not really galleys anymore. But when the copy edit is done, you've approved everything the copy editor suggests. It gets put into type. And then you'll get it again to really kind of double check that what you asked the copy editor to do happened, that something didn't get kind of skipped or missed that was supposed to happen. So we do like it when the author spent some time on that proof going through it. We obviously proofread it ourselves, but so there's quite a little bit of quality check down the road, but it's not like rewriting at that point. It's not like, oh, I wanted to mention, you know, the afterlife or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. So Neil, what else should I know about working with an editor or what else should our listeners know if they choose to go the route of traditional publication, what to expect with an editor? We're aware that there are arguments not to work with mainstream publishers. We think a lot about what value do we bring to an author. And I think what an editor does isn't just provide his or her own feedback or opinion on your book. A good editor is kind of a coach, project manager, team leader, advocate. So I'm feeding feedback to the author from the book designer, production, marketing department, my colleagues in editorial. It's really kind of like it takes a village sort of approach. So working with a traditional publisher like Barrett Kohler and working with an editor like me, it's more that you're getting a community built around your book. So you're getting like this real team approach. And that's something you're just going to miss if you go through some other routes that may be quicker. So along with that is the knowledge that 
sometimes you have to be a bit open-minded as an author as well. You're going to hear feedback of something you thought was working. And four of the five people I ask are saying, that doesn't work. We even had a little bit of that with your title, you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you, it may be a sore topic, but, you know, we went through some rounds in the title and titles that I thought would work and you thought would work got pushed back and we kind of had to really push through that. And you were really good. I would say like, you know, doctors make the worst patients, but you were very good at realizing like, even though you were in the position of having to hear the advice, which is probably not usual for you. And it does mean like you're going to hear things that other people feel is aren't working. And I think the authors who are able to hear that, that doesn't mean you have to do everything people ask you to do in this process. Like ultimately, that is the reason why you work with a publisher because you're going to end up with a book you could never have done just on your own. You're going to get some objective help. And the cool part about working with a publisher, a traditional publisher that pays you in advance and all that, is you're not paying for that. I mean, ultimately, you're maybe getting less royalty on the other side than if you published it yourself. But I think it's a pretty good business deal (laughs) for most authors to get all of that labor into improving your book and you're not paying them on the clock. It's kind of their job at the publisher to invest in you though. Yeah, it's it's incredible. In case you missed it, Neil did say that most book projects include about thirty to fifty thousand dollars of investment from the publisher to bring that book to market. So that's a huge investment. And I'm honored that Bear Kohler <laughs> has faith in me to make that kind of investment in me and my book. So Any kind of parting advice for those who might be listening who are at the place of aspiring someday and really saying, wow, you know, a traditional publisher sounds like what I might like. What's the most important thing they can do? I mean, I know what I would tell them, but I'm curious what you would tell them. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're in these topics, this may sound like kind of weird advice because I particularly mention a blog by the publisher at Bard Press, Todd Satterson, just because he talks a lot about what editors are looking for, what books are working. So learn the business. You know, it's, I'm not, you know, just don't go to his blog per se, but listen to podcasts like this, like try to learn the book of business as well as what you want to write, because you'll begin to think a little differently about fulfilling your own vision for a book, but starting to learn how editors think, what publishers are looking for. And it'll just kind of begin to change how you present your book. It won't ultimately be work in your favor if you're pitched to an author's, I'm so excited about my book. Like my family wants me to publish this book. Mm -hmm. It has to be, I've studied other books like this and my book's going to sell more or do more good because I'm putting this into it. So I think it's just getting a mindset from really studying editors and thought leaders and whatever category you're working in so that you're not just talking about your ideas. That's really helpful. So thanks to all of you who have joined along for this conversation. A quick plug for my book that's coming April 2022. The title is Reach, Creating Lasting Impact for Your Book, Message, or Cause. I got to get that down better, I guess. (laughs) And as always, we appreciate you listening. We'll put some links into the chat so that you can find out more about Barrett Kohler Publishers and how to find Neil online. And if you have any questions at any point, feel free to email me. I'm Becky at weavinginfluence.com. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you invested some time with me. I hope you'll subscribe today and tell a friend about our show. Our website has many additional resources to help guide you no matter where you are on your book marketing journey. Check out the show notes of this episode for links to valuable free resources to support you.